Hey guys, welcome to Holistically You. I'm your host, Amanda, and I'll be here to share my nice and sometimes not so nice human experiences. Let's get comfortable sharing our ups, downs, and everything in between and continue to make meaning out of the parts that make us whole. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Holistically You. I'm your host, Amanda. I'm so excited to be here with you all today, and I am interviewing a beautiful soul today on the podcast. We're going to talk about all things internal, external, um, you know, how we seek validation, pivotal moments, struggles, self-worth, and we're going to talk about a lot of things I believe that many of uh, the Holistically You listening community, many of you are going to be able to identify with and uh, hopefully have some light bulb moments. We love those and aha moments. So without further ado, I am so excited to invite and to have Talia here on the show with us today. Hi, Talia. How you doing? Hello. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh my goodness. It is. The pleasure is uh, all mine. I'm uh, super excited to have you. I think that this is a conversation that is so important to have and um, just a little bit of a a background when Talia and I were trying to decide kind of like, I was like, I want you on the podcast. She threw out some uh, ideas, some brilliant ideas. And I was like, oh yes, this is the one. Like I said, it's something that we can all identify with at some point or another and something that I think has to be spoken about more often. So I'm so happy to have you uh, on the show today. So in true Holistically You fashion, I ask all my guests at the very beginning, share with us a few things. I like to say three, but it could be less or hovering around three things that make you whole. So... I would say the first thing that makes me whole is my art. Um, As you can see behind me, I have my gallery wall. It's beautiful. (laughs) I know you guys can't see it, but it's. Yeah. (laughs) And um, in the last year, I've really tapped into my creativity. Um, As I was doing my coaching certification, my coach instructor had kind of given me a little homework assignment to draw the face of my anxiety or something like that Mm. which we'll get into later and anyway funny enough the assignment made me a little bit anxious because I thought oh my god how am I going to do this right and funny enough just you know because I was being held accountable which is really what coaching is all about I did the assignment and I it's like it unlocked something inside of me I realized that I loved drawing I loved painting and it just unleashed this this part of me that had kind of been in a box for years. So yeah, creativity definitely makes me feel full. Um, and I've painted and drawn a lot in the last year and I definitely feel better. Um, the second thing I would say would be my spiritual practice. So for example, my meditation, I think that, you know, I've come to realize I've been meditating now pretty much daily since March, 2020. And this is the longest stretch I've ever gone in my life. I had done it in little spurts here and there throughout my um, adulthood, you know, but, uh, but this time I feel that it really became part of my life and my routine. And it definitely helps to keep me feel grounded and centered. 
and feeling like myself without all the excess. It kind of does really close the loop. So quite literally makes me feel whole, you know, like closes the circle. Um, and the third thing I would say is my support network. And even though that's something from the outside and it doesn't, you know, specifically come from within, I do think that the ability to foster lasting and impactful and meaningful relationships does come from something inside of you. And when you harness those connections, those social connections, it's just so important for making you feel whole. Um, and it certainly makes me feel that way. I always feel very loved by the people around me, my, you know, the, those close to me. And, um, and I really feel my best when I've interacted with them in recent times. Absolutely. And we've had to really rely on our, you know, our community, our support systems, especially in the last year, a year and a half-ish, I think we're going into now. At this point, you know, when it was like not able to do anything else, you know, that those were, I'm assuming the community, uh, of everyone's community is some, is something that really maybe help people together, especially through the pandemic and everything. So, uh, that's amazing. Thank you for answering that question. And, um, I definitely want to, uh, to talk a little bit about like the art and how that, uh, gives you a different avenue for expression, but we'll come back to that after. And, in a few, you know, sentences, like let us know, let the listeners know um, who you are, what you do, what is your daily, you know, like you are Talia, da 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 da. <laughs> what's your daily? What's your daily practice? What do you do? So I am Talia, <laughs> certified life coach and entrepreneur extraordinaire. Love it. Oh, um, I love it. Yeah, I feel. Yeah, yeah, that it's kind of funny. I think that we were we were raised in a generation that was raised by boomers, right? So they very much were the types to have kind of just one thing on their CV, and not to say that the experience didn't accumulate, but um, that was a generation that stayed at one job for a very long time and kind of tended to keep their head down a little bit and you know move up the ladder, um, progress in their careers, and kind of really fine tune one particular skill. Yeah. Whereas when you move into the millennial generation, you have a lot of people who are incredibly talented and independent and into self-expression and enlightenment and self-actualization as we move up that pyramid, <laughs> Maslow's hierarchy. Um, and so I'm really no exception. I, I have a lot of things going on. I feel that I have a diverse portfolio of, of interests and talents, I suppose. And it's something that I've come to terms with because I always felt like I needed to say one thing over another. And now I can proudly say, you know, I'm a, I'm a certified life coach. Um, I've been a life coach for about a year now, but I became certified in August, 2020. And I am also an entrepreneur. I've had a tutoring company for over 10 years. Um, I'm also an artist. As I said, I, I paint and I take commissions and that's something that's also pretty recently developed and yeah. I also do all my social media marketing and managing. So there's a, there's a lot going on. It's kind of like, you know, what would have been considered four to five different jobs in one shot. Absolutely. And things change so much. And I, and, and I think that, yeah, that way of, of thinking, it's been a while uh, since, you know, like I know for me when I say, 
yes, I'm, I'm a teacher and I'm an educator, but you know, then you throw a aspiring entrepreneur into the mix and podcaster and this and that, and I don't know, real creator, who knows, you know, but exactly just having that jack of all kind of trades, um, you know, overarching umbrella, I guess. And, and I think it's good because it's what we're passionate about. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's the best, that's the best thing. So your journey to becoming a coach, uh, I'm sure it didn't, um, you know, come without its trials and tribulations and maybe some uh, of those aha moments I was mentioning and referring to earlier. Share with us what, what that journey was for you. Was there a moment that catalyzed it for you all? Was it something that you've always wanted to do? Um, Go ahead and share that with us. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, like I said, for many, many years, I had been a tutor, a professional tutor, and running my own business around that. And in working with my students, I developed an inherent coaching and mentoring ability because I found that a lot of the time, in order for a student to really succeed academically, they needed to unblock um, an internal right? An internal restriction, something that was, was holding them back from really um, achieving their full potential, you know, and there'd be a lack of confidence or they would get exam panic or suffer from their own anxiety or pressure from their parents or school or whatever it may have been. And, you know, in working with so many, especially teenagers who are like, you know, young adults essentially and have very complex minds, I realized that I really just had a passion for helping people achieve their goals. And I wanted to start expanding my horizons and challenge myself a little bit and work with adults too, because really my favorite part about this whole thing is, is connecting with people, Mm. kind of finding out what makes them tick and understanding what motivates them and also what inhibits them from being able to achieve their goals or whatever it is that they want to do. And I just find it very, a very interesting challenge to ask the, you know, the person the right questions and, and this and that. So to get back to your question, the time in my life that I suppose was most pivotal was really just um, in very, very early, late 2019, early 2020, I was living abroad in, um, in a relationship and it, it didn't work out, but I had moved there thinking that I would pursue life coaching as something that I could take with me wherever I would go in the world, right? I liked the idea of being able to connect with people anywhere I go, work from my computer, work wherever, um, and really developing a skill that would be inside of me. Um, that's, that's always been sort of my thing. I like to be my own mobile business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so even though it didn't work out there, when I moved back, I thought to myself, I don't want this to have been in vain. And I decided to... Um, even though I was rebuilding my tutoring business, which luckily happened very quickly, I decided to pursue uh, an ICF certification in life coaching through the Flow Institute in Toronto, but online. And in having done that, I just, you know, it really clicked for me. And I realized that this was something that I felt very much called to do. Um, Even though people had always kind of said to me like, oh, I feel like you'd be a good life coach. And I never really even knew what that meant, right? I was like, what is a life coach? You hire someone to teach you about life you know to blow the whistle <laughs> what, what is this person really doing you know but now I realize that that 
a coach is someone who is guiding you through your own unique journey and, and transformation and being there to hold you accountable and ask you the right questions and get you to really investigate your own thoughts and feelings and habits and emotions and behaviors and everything. Right. And, yeah. and, um, I just realized it was really the kind of work that I wanted to be doing and happily continued and, and launched. Amazing. Amazing. Good for you. And, and I know that you said also, you know, you do your own social media and all your branding and everything. It's beautiful, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, that's no easy feat. It's no easy task, you know, to kind of be juggling all these different things and wearing all these different hats. So, mm -hmm. um, so good on you. And, you know, we wanted to talk today a little bit about this notion of validation, right? Mm -hmm. And so often I think like that quote unquote buzzword that, you know, we all talk about is, is, is the fact that we seek sometimes, and some of us seek external versus internal validation. And right. so how, how would you define, you know, um, external validation versus internal validation what, what do you think is the major difference between both yeah so i'd say that external validation is feedback from your surroundings environment people um that, that could be anything from quite literally getting a grade on a test exam project whatever in school um to a compliment from another person to a professional evaluation at work um to anything that anybody is telling you about you <laughs> or what you've done I would say that that's some kind of external validation. And, you know, that even may range to include something like a number on a scale, right? It's something that you're seeing from the outside that is quote unquote validating, right? Or it's quantifying or qualifying yeah, your yeah. efforts or whatever it is that you're doing in the moment. Whereas internal validation, I think, is your own ability to recognize what you are doing and who you are and attributing your worth to just being you and to not being contingent on everything that you do and needing to do things a certain way and achieving a certain level because that's something that is you know very difficult to set the bar on because we experience a sort of hamster wheel right so mm -hmm. we can almost have a weird effect of thinking we're internally validating ourselves, but it acts a lot like an external validation because we act almost out, the voice in our head is almost one outside of ourselves, right? Where we're inhabiting this other person kind of like figment of our imagination, but telling us whether we're okay or not, but that's not really internal validation, right? Internal validation is really a self, self reassurance or self soothing mechanism in which you just know that you are worthy inherently for being human. Mm, that you are worthy inherently for being human. That's so beautiful. Uh, I, I think that people have trouble with that. And, and that's why, you know, uh, there's been this, or in my opinion, there's just been this huge wave and push of like ways that we can do this. Like you said, a self-soothing mechanism, self-talk, right? Positive self-talk versus yeah. negative self-affirmations all these things that people have been probably practicing for years and years and years now are all really coming to the surface. Why, why do you think that is now in this day and age that these types of things are really coming to the surface and everybody is really trying to tap into them? Is it like, is it a generational thing? Is it too much 
like stuff happening outside on the exterior, too much stimulation? What do you think it is? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. It's hard to say exactly what the source is, but I would say a couple of things. First of all, I would say that we can attribute it to a certain extent to our generation, mm. right? As discussed earlier, I mean, millennials are definitely about self-actualization and improvement and recognizing, you know, their own anxiety and triggers and yeah. all kinds of different things that'll allow them to grow, right? Whereas, I mean, even just when we talk about the field of psychology, it wasn't as developed in the 70s or 80s or even prior, right? And so with the development of different domains that focus on psychology, emotional well-being, spirituality, and taking generations that are very into healing and growth and combining it as well with social media and very quick means of dissemination of information and yeah. communication. I think that you've got a kind of trifecta of, <laughs> you know, a recipe essentially for this self-improvement and growth. Yeah. 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 I, I, I agree. I mean, I know that every, everything happens so fast for us nowadays. And like you said, like we, we, we are constantly, um, we have an intake of information and of other people's lives and perspectives and all these things that are coming at us constantly that I think do play a role in that for sure for sure you know how many times have I heard my mother and my father say we never had to deal with any of this shit when we were younger <laughs> exactly you know and I'm like well this is you know this is what we have to deal with but it's nice to know that we have access to tools mm -hmm. and professionals that mm -hmm. allow us to continue to work on ourselves, you know, when we say that term, do the work, you know, for those of us who want to do the work, it's there, which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> no, totally. And I mean, it, the same, I think, could be said about physical health and activity. You know, when you look over the decades, I mean, in the 50s, they were putting out commercials on how to microwave a hot dog. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people had a shorter life expectancy. What do you, you know, what do you want to say? So, yeah, I mean, as physical health, science and studies start to emerge and improve right so does psychological health and emotional health right so i think they all go very much hand in hand and it's not to it's not to focus on one at the expense of the other right it's really about a kind of cumulative combined effect and really just having an overall holistic well-being right Ta <laughs> Absolutely. So what has been your experience then? You can get as, you know, you can go into as much detail as you feel comfortable with experience in your life in terms of that perhaps seeking external validation, um, maybe to a detriment of sorts, if that's ever happened to you, or you can speak, you know, to your, ex to an experience that you've seen professionally. Uh, what, what have you seen surrounding that or, you know, gone through in your life and, and how has that kind of, you know, affected you, whether it's negative or positive? I mean, obviously I think we grow from these experiences, right? So what was that, what was a journey like for you with that type of uh, validation? I think validation is a really interesting word and I think it it just resonates in general because for me because I do recognize that there's some kind of trigger there for me mm -hmm. um you know 
quite literally when you think about validating, right? Like validating your parking, validating exactly your what I was thinking. You yeah. are you are permitting yourself <laughs> to enter or exit, right? Like yeah. you are you are allowing some kind of mobility from one place to another. And yeah. I think that, you know, I was definitely somebody who grew up caring a lot about external validation. So be it, you know, always being a very, very high achiever in school, needing to prove that I never necessarily had such a problem with trying to prove my intelligence or something, but I definitely felt that to an extent, my worth as a student, for example, was, you know, contingent on my grades and, um, I got very good grades overall, but they didn't necessarily make me always feel good about myself. And so I do think that when it comes to validation or where people seek it most, I, I mean, I don't want to get too psychological here. I think it, it stems a lot from where we felt we lacked validation as children. Um, and so, you know, my mom gave me like a lot, a lot of approval and was constantly sort of just (laughs) my biggest fan, but then, you know, dowsing me with compliments and everything. Whereas my dad was a bit of a trickier character, you know, and uh, it was, it was touch and go. Okay. Yeah. So I think that <laughs> I love how I'm getting real, real personal here, but you know what? Why not? We love sure it. We're here, we're here for it. Yes. Yeah, but uh, you know, uh, let's be real. A lot of people can relate to the feeling of seeking validation or approval from one parent or both. Right. Um, and that extends into adulthood. And what happens is that when that sort of quote unquote wound that we experience as children, which we ne- we were not necessarily aware of mm. at the time, but that we sort of carried with us to into adulthood. When that wound hasn't been healed or addressed or dealt with, we tend to attract situations in other areas of life that present us with opportunities to heal that wound, right? So perhaps having sought validation from my father a lot growing up, translated into a desire to seek validation unconsciously obviously right we're not like purposely trying to do this but right unconsciously seek validation from the men i was dating right and so going for many years for emotionally unavailable men in my dating uh schematic is that the right word <laughs> i say yes <laughs> um you know, it's, it's just funny. It's like some people would say, well, you know, and I even had a psychologist tell me once, you know, dating emotionally unavailable men is a reflection of you yourself being emotionally unavailable. And I, I actually really don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned about attachment theory and I don't want to veer too off topic here, but I think I was just anxiously attached. And so I would seek men again, inadvertently unconsciously who would confirm my belief that every time I got close to somebody, they would you know, drop the ball or get distant or, you know, not want to commit or whatever it is. I think it was just really an unconscious process that was happening that again, continuously was providing me with an opportunity to learn and grow and heal prior wounds. Right. Until I finally looked it in the face, got a grip on that and was able to do that. I did often feel like my worth was determined by you know, how many texts I got back after a date or whether somebody wanted to be with me or, 
you know, how many compliments I would get from someone. And I'm, I'm speaking just, you know, heteronormatively because that's my personal life, but this yeah. can apply to anybody in any situation. It can even be with friends, right? It doesn't yeah. have to be in a dating situation. It's just yeah. something that I know that that was the area that I felt I sought the most external validation because I always felt pretty confident with my, um, my ability to, to work and run business and all that. So it wasn't as prominent there. Yeah. But I, uh, you know, after my last breakup, I have to, I really had to, I, I chose to do a lot of work on myself and to start recognizing these things and, and realize that whatever growth I was going to experience in the dating realm or whatever relationship I was going to have, like I had to be responsible for my happiness. I had to be responsible for my own well-being and also for having my own back and complimenting myself, right? Like really you got to take care of you. Otherwise, if somebody says something or does something, I mean, you're shattered, right? Because everything hinges on that person's approval. And that could go at any moment, ultimately. That's the thing. We have no control over these things. And and I know that so often I've heard people say, you know, well, it's it's easier said than done. But I think it's important to remember that this is a, a continuing process, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like if you're working with someone who's, you know, either you're coaching them or even people who are, you know, in therapy, who, who are, who are doing the work, you don't just go to one session and call it a day, mm -hmm. right? It's something that continues. And so, so what would you say to those people who are, yeah, maybe, okay, well, it's easier said than done. And sometimes my emotions get the better of me. I mean, I think it's important. We feel our feels, you know, like what would be a piece of advice that you would share with someone who says something like that? Oh, it's so funny because I'm, I'm hosting a workshop tomorrow on, on managing <laughs> thoughts and emotions. And there you go. That kind of thing is, is really coming up. And it's because, I mean, we, we all suffer from this and to some extent, right? I would say the biggest piece of advice that I can give, or I suppose direction to head in would be to try to flex your self-awareness muscle, to try to grow that. Because as you become more aware of your own patterns of thoughts and feelings and actions, behaviors, whatever, you can start to almost step out of yourself and watch yourself interact in your environments and in your personal relationships. And it provides you an opportunity to think back and to question things and to challenge yourself. You know, like when you become triggered, for example, in a situation, sometimes you don't even know you're that triggered. It's happened before you've even recognized it. You've reacted so fast and it un hinges this sort of like chain reaction, right? Mm -hmm. But so when you start to bring self-awareness and when you're willing to examine your ego as well, mm. right? Because validation really comes down to ego because yeah. if we had no ego, there would no, be no need for validation. Right. It's kind of like, if you don't have a car, you don't need, you don't need to validate your parking. It's you're just in and out. Right. Yeah. Um, but so let's face it. We, we all have egos. Um, some are more prominent than others. And, and just to be clear, when I speak of ego, I'm not speaking of like, oh, do I look good and dressing well? Like that's, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about 
that mirror that we put on ourselves, our image that we project into the world, our need to feel like we are who we think we are. And when anybody challenges that, oh my God, you know, we go into defense mode and, and all that, right? It's again, it's that need for approval and, um, and everything. So anyways, I just, I just mean to say that when you're willing to examine your ego, to question yourself, even privately, right? Be like, how did I react like that? You know, and kind of backtrack and start to ask yourself questions. Like what was it in the conversation that made me feel that thing that mm-hmm. led me to behave in that way? And, you know, why did that bother me? For example, why did that trigger me? What is it? Where did it come up in my body? Where does that come from in my history and my memory? And how did I play a role in perpetuating that situation? Let's say it were negative, right? Or how did I play a role in receiving the response that I got? You know, it's really just about being emotionally mature and choosing to evaluate yourself because a lot of the time people just don't want to do it. They think that everything they do is perfectly fine and well, they don't have to explain themselves and it's everybody else's fault. And again, that's the ego governing them, right? They don't want to be responsible or accountable. But when you start to accept that you play a role in every interaction and in your own thought processes, you can also then start to be like, hey, you know what? I'm going to try to deal with this differently next time. I'm going to put some space between my trigger and my response. Mm. And right. And then, and then it allows that, again, that internal validation process to, to be a little bit more thorough. It's like, okay, why do I feel this way? Is this valid? Yeah, you know what? That, that actually was really hurtful. And this made me feel like this. Okay, great. Let me bring this up to this person, you know, constructively versus, ooh, now that I think about it, they probably didn't mean it in any kind of way. But because ABC happened this many years ago, I may have been more sensitive to that. So hmm, I should probably apologize for my behavior. You know what I mean? I mean, it opens up the forum for so much more communication and, and, and depth in everything that we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that inner dialogue is, mm-hmm. I think, very important. And it's not always the easiest to access but I feel like once you access it, it becomes a bit of a portal, you know, mm-hmm. into the understanding of, you know, your triggers. And like you said, also under and understanding where did this, I love that you said, where did this come up in my body? What type of like, what type of like gut reaction did I have? Mm-hmm. What's my intuition saying? I think these are things that maybe we, they were tougher to access in the past. And now all of a sudden, you know, we're able to sit down. I know for me, I journal a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's something that has helped me massively because there's no judgment there from anyone or anything. And I can just say what I need to say and just put it out on the paper. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like, so what is your opinion? You know, we, we bring up this ego. What is your opinion or your um, thoughts on having a healthy ego versus, you know, because I hear that notion a lot, you know, Mm. Oh, he or she has a healthy ego. Is that just because they're super confident or how do you think that term is being thrown around recently? Hmm. I'll be honest. I don't think I've necessarily heard the terms healthy ego so much. And I find it almost uh, borderline oxymoronic (laughs) (laughs) because an ego, Oh, I mean, it's healthy in the sense that it's a part of your mind. And, you know, if we get a little Freudian here for a second, there is, you know, he described the id, the ego and the superego. So sure. 
Um, you know, if you've got a quote unquote healthy ego, I suppose that it, that it implies you have a balance between your id, which is sort of like your carnal instinct, no control versus your super ego, which is your kind of perfectionist rigid side, right? So if you've got a quote unquote healthy ego, you're somewhere in the middle, right? Where you, you might care to a certain extent what people think because that feedback is important to you, you know, in terms of social cognition and in our you know, interacting in our environment, because of course it's, it's, it's normal and it's healthy to want that feedback loop from those that we're um, in communication with or in relationships with. And again, that could be anything from professional to personal mm -hmm. um, on a daily basis. Right. So there's a certain amount of ego that is good for us to have to allow us to receive that feedback. Mm -hmm. Um but also having it be in check so that we're not always defensive and we're not closed off to learning more about ourselves or how we impact others. And, you know, for example, I, well, I'm not perfect, as we know. But, what? You're um, not? <laughs> I know Santa doesn't exist. What are you talking about? Um, all those cookies that went to waste. Oh my God. Um, yeah, no, I mean, for example, you know, I, I definitely have a spicy character and I've been known to sometimes say things off the cuff or have a sarcastic sense of humor and, you know, whatever. And I really don't mean anybody any harm, but I do try as a result, I try to be as open to conflict resolution or constructive criticism as possible. Right. So I really like to pride myself on, you know, if somebody has an issue with me or feels that something I have said or done has hurt them or disturbed them in some way or you know whatever and this this is anything from close friends to even on social media I mean, of course i'll never shut down or i'll try not to i shouldn't say never but i i really try again to keep my ego in check and to not be too defensive and to really try to understand or empathize with the person and see you know where they're coming from or how i might have um miscommunicated or you know whatever yeah yeah just trying to be open to that feedback i think means having a healthy ego yeah. do you agree <laughs> yeah you know what i don't know i don't know why i'm my mind is i'm very creative i every time i think about the ego i mm. literally think of a peacock fair <laughs> <laughs> i get it <laughs> like very egotistical as an animal yeah yeah exactly and it's the it's the it's the reaction to situations where you <laughs> put your feathers up yeah know? yeah totally and you totally. put your best foot forward in certain circumstances and yep. that's kind of the way I think of the ego you know mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I've listened to Eckhart Tolle so much okay you know and and the way he you know describes um the ego is well it's very spiritual and so i i'm still researching and listening and learning and so i don't know that i have a firm grasp on what i think it is or or because then they talk about ego death and all this stuff and i'm like i don't know what's going on here <laughs> right but you know that's the image that i have when we talk about that you know and and i feel like that connects to that external that that need for external validation or whatever yeah. it is you know um it could it could be a detriment or it just could be neutral 
You know, it it could be um, either or, I think. But in terms of, you know, in terms of self-worth, which is also, I think, a very big, big buzzword now, you know, like I think I've hashtagged it like 65 times at this point in my posts. In order to, in your experience, maybe what you've seen with clients or even yourself, in order to feel innately worthy, and you mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, of just being human. I am me. I am beautiful. You know, I like to show my students those videos of like the little kids in the mirror and they're like, I am strong. I am beautiful. You know, like it's just. Oh my God, it's so cute. The sweetest thing in the world. But self-worth, is this something you feel is, you know, um, is this affected when we are younger? Do we learn it? Do we experience it as we continue to grow, maybe even through uh, trauma or tribulations in our lifetime? Where do you think this comes from? And, and how do you think uh, it is impacted or affected when we're seeking external validation? Oh. Is that a clear question? I don't even know. Um, I think I understood. I mean, I think you're asking, you know, where, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but where self-worth comes from, how it develops, how it's impacted either as children or later on through experiences, traumatic or otherwise, and how internal validation can help mediate that. Is that what you're... Perfect. Um, Okay. (laughs) Coaching skills, functioning. Love it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I think that... I'm so glad for all the children who have you as a teacher, because I think that it's so, so important to instill a sense of worth in children. And that comes from all of their adult role models. And I think that too many people, and I, you know, I'm, I hesitate to criticize adults and parents and I, I'm not a parent yet. So I, I, I don't know how difficult it is really yet. Right. So I get it to a certain extent that, it's not so easy to always be the perfect parent or the perfect teacher. You know, we're all humans. We all have our own baggage. We have our own daily stresses and things. And, you know, we forget how fragile and impressionable children are. And it could be something as simple as, you know, one thing that a kid receives as a message mm-hmm. um, at home or in school or in the playground or whatever that can really just sit with them and kind of fester for years to come. And then there's that self-fulfilling prophecy as well. Right. So when you know maybe a child has is going through something tough at home a divorce or whatever and they start to act out in school and then they start being pinned as the troublemaker and then all the future teachers expect that kid to be the troublemaker and treat them a certain way i mean there's so much going on in a child's life that can impact their self-worth or if they you know have an undiagnosed uh, learning disability or simply don't operate very well in a group setting or classroom or just a little bit slower to develop. I mean, really just anything that's, that's the tough, that part, right. Is that there's so much opportunity for them to be put down or held back in some way. And it makes me really sad because they're just, they're so like innocent and pure. Right. Um, And I think sometimes adults forget that and they treat them as if they're just adults, you know, in, in some way. Yeah. Um, because I, I see people talking to their kids sometimes like they're adults, which is sometimes funny, but sometimes, you know, not necessarily appropriate. And I think that, um, I think that everybody probably has some memory of when they were a kid or a teenager where somebody said something to put them down or hurt their feelings. And especially if it was somebody who played an important role in their lives. And 
again, that can really just continue further on. And if you don't have someone who's there to support you as a kid or teen or whatever, as you're growing up to really kind of instill that worth in you and teach you tools for internal validation, you can go your whole life seeking to compensate for something that somebody said when you were seven, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think it's just, it's so important to teach kids and frankly to teach adults, but you know, not all adults are in some kind of school or learning setting, right? I mean, we're all learning <laughs> every day. On the go. But it's like the school of hard knocks, you know? It's <laughs> the school of life. <laughs> it's not, uh, you know, what's going to happen if you don't pay your credit card bill on, bill on time. You know what you're going to find out, right? But they don't actually teach you that even in school, which is ridiculous. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> My point is that I think that it's so easy to hurt a child's self-esteem or worth. And I think a lot of that damage is done in the early days and people grow up holding on to those, those scars or you know, kind of keeping it in their invisible backpack as they continue through life. Yeah, I mean, I remember as a child in elementary school, we used to play, um, we used to play Sailor Moon. Okay. Loved Sailor Moon. Yes. Who were you? <laughs> oh my goodness, Case. I don't remember the characters, but I just remember I was like the least important one. There was like Sailor, Mars, Venus, Mercury, Jupiter, and Moon. Yeah. So whoever was furthest from the sun. <laughs> <laughs> Probably like Sailor Jupiter or something. <laughs> And, and I literally, oh my God, I can close my eyes and remember even where this happened was like, I remember them just being like, well, you know what? We don't actually need you today. And then, and then that kept happening more and more. And then we found this little like crack, this little board in the back of the school where you could actually go inside and have this like secret layer. And uh, guess who was never invited into the secret? No. Yeah. that's so hard elementary kids can inflict so much damage so much damage and it's funny I went I mean I've I've been in therapy uh, I've been to see even like I've gone a little woo I've seen healers I've done all the things and a lot of it stems from and it's not the first time I've referenced this specific story Mm. that's got to mean something yeah right that's got to mean something because I brought that into high school when I was getting severely bullied and then yeah it's crazy and 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 that's why I asked the question because I think I think self-worth and and understanding that as you said we are innately worthy just because we are human beings Mm. is is maybe is is maybe not something that we are accustomed to repeating to ourselves, uh, Mm. you know, especially when there are exterior uh, circumstances that kind of get in the way. And so I think it's so important to continue to nurture that, you know, especially, especially, but, and as adults as well, I don't know if you feel this way, but we have self-doubt, we have comparison, like Mm. in terms of the, the people that you work with, what do you, what do you see in terms of, you know, we're all we're all grown ups, but we continue to compare ourselves to other. Is that something that, is that a pattern that you see recurring in your work? Oh yeah. I mean, for sure. Adults are essentially just older kids that yes. have bills yeah. and taxes to pay. I was going to say bigger, I, but not because yeah. I'm 
taller, so. maybe not. <laughs> sometimes taller. Um, sometimes more mature, not even always. It's not a guarantee. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, but I think that social comparison is something that's also um, inherited evolutionarily speaking, because uh, ostracization is essentially the worst punishment you can give a human, right? Because again, if we go back in time to Neanderthal caveman time, et cetera, but even not as far back as that, right? Humans are pack creatures. We need to be in groups. We need to have attachments. It, it benefited our survival or our mating, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just because we've happened, we happen to have evolved in a very short period of time in terms of technology and speech and whatever doesn't mean that our evolutionary biology has caught up yet or our psychology frankly um like for example we don't even need most of our toes (laughs) i once saw a dry diagram that's like the ideal foot actually has three toes for stability (laughs) i was like okay but that's why that's actually why our pinky fingers and our pinky toes are so small because over time they will just go away so we will become simpson characters yeah but it's gonna take a while so we've caught up and we've gone to the moon and mars and whatever and sailor jupiter was left out (laughs) no sorry but but right what i what i mean to say is we have all these sort of biological mechanisms that are meant to keep us safe and connected but that are to our detriment especially in a society in which we are constantly being projected either false or curated images of other people's lives. And so naturally with filters and editing and whatever that people are flaunting, you know, it has a very strong impact on our reflection of ourselves, on where we are in life, on how we should be looking and where we should be traveling and what we should be eating and what partner we should have. I mean, really, it's just, it extends to everything and anything. And, And that just simply didn't exist before, right? Like, in the whatever 70s and there were no cell phones and stuff you ran into someone and maybe they were driving a really cool car or wearing nice jeans and bell bottoms and you were like wow this person must be doing well or oh they look nice happily married but they weren't bombarded with images of everybody around them constantly all the time right so it's normal that we are going to have issues of validation i mean we quite literally are addicted to social media mechanisms that validate us right with the likes and the comments and the insights and the engagement rates and everything i mean it's it's we're getting into like a black mirror episode here in life right (laughs) it's so true though there's 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 so much i did i think i did did i yes i did a reel weeks ago and it was just a funny play on you know uh, where the girl go, where the girl says, repeat after me, I no longer seek a, a validation from strangers on the internet. And she repeats it and she's like, I'm going to go make a TikTok. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know exactly though. Right. I mean, it's not, it's not easy to shed. It's not easy to shed. Yeah. You can say so, it till you're blue in the face, but it's so, exactly. it's so prevalent in our society. That's it. So it's becoming more important than ever to become self-aware, to start recognizing those things, to affirm to yourself that you are worthy, that you, you know, that not everything you see is real. And that there's also a lot of people who are probably looking at your life and wondering like, wow, how'd they get to be in that place? Or they're so this or that. I mean, for example, I didn't know you had 
such an amazing voice until I heard you on Clubhouse, but you know, I hear your voice and singing voice and I'm like, oh my God, you know, I like to sing, but damn, that girl really has a set of pipes on her, you know? <laughs> so you learn things about other people and that's all very well, but being able to kind of ground yourself and recognize that everyone is going through their own shit, yeah. pardon my language, but right. And being able to kind of center yourself and, and, and affirm that regularly if right. not daily. Yes. Yes. Very 100%. important. A hundred percent. And your meditation practice, uh, you mentioned that it's been pretty much a year now, right? That you've been mm -hmm. keeping, keeping this steady. How has that helped shape your, you know, uh, um, like obviously your mental, your physical, your spiritual, how, how do you feel like that's affected you and really, and really helped you on your journey? I'm so curious. Cause I know a lot of people, I've heard so many people be like, I can't meditate. I can't sit still. I can't do this. I can't do that. You know, what, what do you think? How has it helped you? And what would you say to those who are just like, no, I can't <laughs> I have a huge resistance to it. I mean, honestly, without judgment as much as possible, I really feel that people who refuse to meditate are missing out on one of the most powerful gifts that you can give yourself mm -hmm. because similarly to, you know, it's like somebody who I hate to use this example, but it is kind of easy to, to use. It's just, you know, if somebody were struggling with their weight or their health or whatever, but refused to eat well or refused to exercise because it's too hard. It's like, well, you're kind of bypassing the, the things that are the most important for the, mm -hmm. this growth in this domain, right? It's, yeah. it's kind of going to be tough to do anything else. It's like, yeah, but I do it one day. It's I, I ate so well yesterday and I still haven't lost any weight or I still don't fit into my jeans. It's like, yeah, well, it's a practice. It takes time, right? It's about being patient with yourself and, and training your mind the way you would train your body. Um, so meditation, I mean, ugh, I could go on forever about that and we don't have the time, but <laughs> meditation has helped me so much to ground myself, to alleviate my anxiety that I had been carrying for years, if not forever. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it helped my emotional reactivity. I find that, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm still spicy, but I can just manage my rea reactions to things a little bit better and, or bounce back quicker. Right. So even if I find myself sort of reacting a little heatedly, I can sooner tether myself back and be like, okay, I don't know if that made sense, but right. It's like a tether. Yeah, it's like yeah. a shorter, right. So I can kind of sooner bring myself back and say, okay, hold on. You know, and again, it's about that self-awareness, right. And, and when strong emotions arise in me, rather than trying to suppress them or avoid them or distract myself or everything that so many people do because they simply cannot bear to sit with a difficult emotion. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just not, I don't really struggle with that anymore because of meditation, because I am, I learned to be comfortable in the discomfort. And I think that that's something that's just so important as a skill for growth and getting through life, because so many things in life are going to be uncomfortable. And the sooner you can sit with it and allow difficult emotions to arise. This is something else I'm going to be talking about in my workshop tomorrow, but the sooner you can allow those clouds to pass and move on. Because when you don't, I mean, you face some very serious consequences such mm -hmm. as depression, for example, right? Depression is 
again, quite literally depressing to compress and depress mm -hmm. your emotions. And when you do that, uh, it can have a very negative toll on your health. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just helped me. It's helped my mental health a lot in my interpersonal relationships and, and for anybody who says that they can't do it because they can't sit still. I mean, you can sit still for five minutes. You're choosing to not sit still right. and, Oh, I shouldn't, you know, I can't, I can't not think. And I have too many thoughts. It's like, yeah, that's normal. That's, that's totally normal. It's just understanding that that's not the point of meditation, right? The point is not to not think it's to Practice the discipline of consistently returning to the breath when you have a million thoughts, which you will have, mm -hmm. and doing so with non-judgment and non-attachment. You just are practicing dropping your thoughts and returning to the breath and dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping. Yeah. And it's funny how people will do crazy workouts and train to their blue in the face, but God forbid they should sit for seven minutes and just breathe. Can't do it. <laughs> I'd like, much rather sit for the seven minutes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. I'm so happy that we finally got to sit down because it's been a while. And I have one final question. Well, two, but one, you know, final holistically you question, which is if you had to like give a theme or a title to this chapter of your life, what would it be and why? So I would say that the title to this chapter of my life is transformation for mm -hmm. sure. Um, because I really do feel that in a short period of time, I've grown exponentially mm -hmm. again around my, you know, anxiety, my self-awareness, uh, my work too, like just having launched this practice and building this business and everything and just really trying to help as many people as possible. And, research things that will help people and put messages out there and everything. So and help myself along the way, of course, you know, benefit from my own work. Um, so yeah, I would say transformation is definitely what comes to mind. I love that. It's so important too, right? And we're in a constant state of transformation, which I love. Talia, share with the listeners uh, where we can find you on social media. If you have a website, please share everything. And I'm going to link everything in the show notes as well so people can contact you if they would like. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. So um, I'm quite prevalent on Instagram. Um, my handle is Talia, T-H-A-L-I-A, Joie. J-O-I-E. And my website is joie, again, J-O-I-E, coaching.ca or .com. It'll take you to the same place. And I also have a Facebook page, which is at joiecoaching.ca. And yeah, I mean, anybody can always feel free to send me a DM on Instagram. I'm open to communicating. I love when people talk to me about different things and I've got workshops coming up and you can always access them through Instagram or my website amazing well thank you for giving us your time today so excited and i am very grateful to all the clubhouse gods for bringing us together yeah, me too me too you know we keep saying we're like we live in the same city and we know. you know we would have otherwise never crossed paths or maybe we would have but we wouldn't have known <laughs> exactly exactly no and i can't wait to cross your path in person oh the world is opening up <laughs> Brother, we're going to be on it. 
Well, thank you so much, Talia. And for all of you listening, I will link uh, Talia's information in the show notes. And we will end off by always uh, saying, stay humble, friends. And I'll see you in the next episode.